Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, September 28th, and today we're going to start by giving a bit of an update on two companies that we've mentioned recently, uh, first Viacom and then Twitter, and then we're going to move on to talking about Chris's article of the week. So Chris, Viacom, uh, you know, we mentioned this on our September 23rd podcast just last week, and it looks like Sumner Redstone was listening to it because just this morning news broke that he's going to call on Viacom and CBS to explore a kind of remerger uh, sometime probably later this week. Uh, he controls both Viacom and CBS, so there's a very good chance if he wants it to happen, it will probably happen. Though there are some minority shareholder issues and personality issues here. Uh, in particular, the questions are, you know, does this make sense for CBS to do? CBS, they're doing well. They don't really need Viacom. Uh, you know, is CBS going to need to pay a premium for Viacom or will this be a no premium merger of equals? The rumor is Les Moonves thinks CBS is doing so well that Viacom should pay them a premium, but I, I, I can't really see that. Uh, so, you know, both stocks were up on the day. How do you think this ultimately plays out? Uh, Sumner Redstone doesn't always listen to our podcast, but he was that day. And he said, you know, I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's it. Merge <laughs> CBS and Michael. So uh, his his uh, group uh, is, is favoring it. I think it's exceedingly likely that they will get what they want. Um, as far as Les Moonves' thoughts on a premium, you know, I think the, one of the best ways to have a career in publicly traded security uh, uh, is, is if you can end up with both a premium and a job when you're done, you know, because usually you get one or the other, you know, you get this big premium for your shares and you get fired uh, or you get this big job, but you're paying the premium. But every once in a while you can end up with both. I don't think he's going to hear, but I do think he's going to end up with the job. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Look, Vi- Les Moonves is regarded as one of the best uh, media CEOs. Mm-hmm. He's got, I think in particular, he has a reputation for outstanding programming and talent management. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Viacom, the one thing everyone says is Nickelodeon, MT. TV, Comedy Central, all these things. I, I think Comedy Central's got some decent programming, but all of them are kind of a little bare in terms of their programming. So less getting there could be a real big yeah. boost to this. You know, I think that the uh, the kind of balance of power with the talent has been more and more favoring the talent, especially superstars mm-hmm. who tend to hate the intermediaries. But the talent, including the superstars, tend to really love Les Moonves for whatever reason. I don't know if he, he treats them the way they want to be treated or something or other, but he kind of seems to get along with them. I, I don't want to talk too much more about Viacom because sure. I just want to do the update. But it is interesting. Like the, the most powerful agents, the most powerful uh, media CEOs – what you consistently see is like at all their talent actually thinks of them as their best friend. Like mm-hmm. I was reading about one agent who you could call up 15 different people and they'd be like, he is my best mm-hmm. friend in the world. And for the agent, he was just like, I, he wouldn't say it's just another, uh, it's just another talent to me, but you know, he had 15 best friends. So mm-hmm. you really need that relationship and ability to connect anything here. Or you want to go to Twitter. Twitter. Okay, so Twitter. We mentioned this on our September 9th podcast. Uh, at the time, there was about to be a big board meeting, and the rumor was they were going to consider standalone versus selling the company. We thought they kind of might give Jack Dorsey another quarter or two of rope to turn Twitter around before they look to sell, but it looks like they're going to sell. Uh, the rumor is a whole slew of company is looking to buy them right now. Uh, we've heard Google, Salesforce, Disney, Fox, Microsoft. Verizon, Comcast, AOL slash Verizon, uh, and AT&T are all somewhat considering bids. 
Uh, some are more likely than others, but Chris, it, you know, tons of companies. It could be a big premium, interesting deal. How do you think this plays out? You know, uh, Carl Icahn kind of casually mentioned that he might buy half or all of Herbalife at one point. So I think I just might throw in my hat in the ring. I might be <laughs> launching a bid for Twitter. You can kind of just opine about this guy. Everybody else's. So. You have $30 billion lying <laughs> I, around that I, I'm I not thought, aware of. Why not buy Twitter? <laughs> I um, am underpaid for hosting this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, no, what's interesting is I can't think of any target in history that has had this set of potential bidders where your uh, the, the the managers of the sales process would send out to that combination of companies and it, they're looking for very different reasons it's interesting but I, I 100% agree with you it's interesting because look social networks are kind of at the connection of media and advertising mm-hmm. right and uh Look, Facebook and Google, they're, they're basically tech slash advertising companies, but nobody's buying them. The only one you can buy right now is Twitter. So if you are an advertising slash media company and you're not considering them, you're probably behind on scale. I'm not saying you should buy them, but you have to at least think about it. I, I've always thought of Twitter as more of a product than a company. And I love, and we'll mention the disclosure, I own a little bit of Twitter at this point. Uh, I love just the scarcity value of the last franchise in an area like this. They always get bought by somebody. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I think the market, you know, right now shares are trading about $23 per share. I think there was about a 25% pop on the news. But I I think people are very worried. You know, Twitter is trading at 6x forward revenue, 20x forward EBITDA at these levels. And there's a lot of stock-based compensation that's not factored into that EBITDA. So people are saying... This is a high multiple for a company that's barely growing, not increasing users. But I think you're right. This could be strategic and somebody might pay out the nose for it. I, I'm really probably the only highly price sensitive bidder in the Twitter situation. I mean, I think I think somebody's <laughs> going to overpay for this. So, you know, you say uh, you say stats like that in terms of the multiples. And that means a lot to me and what I'd want to pay. But I bet it doesn't mean that much to the winning bidder. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking like, look, Disney has been rumored as a bidder. Mm-hmm. If you look at Disney... They just invested $1 billion for a third stake in uh, BAM Tech, MLBs. It's a company that allows you to stream live videos, particularly around sports. They Mm -hmm. do tons of live video. If you think about combining that with streaming things through Twitter, with ESPN, with all of ABC's, ABC's shows... Pixar, Marvel, all those movies. I think it, buying Twitter positions them very with some very strategic, interesting assets as we go into kind of the cable cord cutting age. So that's just one company, but you can see all sorts of interesting synergies between a lot of them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, I, I'll ask you first. I've got some thoughts on it. Who do you think ultimately wins here? Pregnant pause. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. So I don't know. It, Who do you think? It's very tough to say. I would say I think tech, tech companies like Google and Salesforce have an advantage over media companies just mm-hmm. because most media companies trade at you know 10x EBITDA. Disney trades at about 10x. To buy Twitter, you're talking about a much bigger multiple, uh, You know, particularly like a Fox or something. I think they'd have a tough time justifying that. In Disney's case, they've hit some home run, home run acquisitions. Pixar, uh, Marvel, and Lucasfilms, which is Star Wars. So maybe they could they have the rope to justify it, but I think their board's going to be very hesitant to pay that big of a price. So I think it comes down to the tech companies. I think Google makes the most sense, but I think if you look at Salesforce, they just lost out on a heated bidding war between Microsoft for LinkedIn to Microsoft. And I think Salesforce might look at this and say, 
oh my god, if we miss this, we've completely missed the boat. We've completely missed the boat on social network. We need this. We are almost completely price insensitive. And if you're a Twitter shareholder, that's the type of thing you love to hear. Absolutely. I think Microsoft's ex-CEO would have outbid any of these guys, oh, but yeah. I think their current CEO will not. It, it, you know, Microsoft ex-CEO, he actually took a, he took a stake in Twitter's common stock. And when he did, a lot of people thought he's rich enough. He might just buy this as a standalone <laughs> company and nobody knows the thinking. No one will understand the price, but he might just pay a big premium. And now it looks like he might be on the receiving end of it. So Absolutely. that will be interesting. Uh, so, Chris, let's turn to your article of the week. Sure. It is a Wall Street Journal article. It's called Why It Takes More Mo- More Than Money to Buy a Special Edition Ferrari. I believe it was in today's Wall Street Journal. And uh, I know this is close to your heart, Chris, because I have seen you chase down classic cars to talk to their owners about cars when you see a car you yeah. like drive down the street. So why don't you take us into I, the article? I, I think of all of the misperceptions uh, between the sexes, the biggest is the desirability of really expensive Ferraris. I, I know that uh, in town there's somebody with this lime green Lamborghini and they don't quite know how to drive stick shift <laughs> and every time they drive past us when we're on the sidewalk and the guy stalls out my wife just bursts out into tears laughing because it's so funny and he also gets hung up on speed bumps the car's too low to go over speed bumps so it's like a teeter-totter he'll get halfway across and just be flopped in the middle it's not as cool as he thinks it is um, and I shouldn't have said lime green because now it's pretty identifiable but oh well uh, so, one of our one of our hundreds of listeners <laughs> is going to rat you out in this case uh, what I think is very interesting is what do you need to buy a Ferrari? Clearly you need money. But in the case of uh, the special edition Ferraris, in this case the La Ferrari Aparta, uh, this is a convertible $2 million Ferrari. Not just anybody is welcome to buy. Mm -hmm. So even with your Twitter money that you're going to bid for Twitter for, (laughs) you might not be welcome to buy this uh, this Ferrari. No, somebody sent a million dollars right to the chairman begging for one. Somebody sued them to get one. But basically, you have to be uh, special. Clearly, if you're a celebrity, uh, if if you can buy Twitter, it would help. If you have tens of millions of Twitter followers, that would help Mm -hmm. certainly too. Um, I think they also want somebody with a long history with the car, somebody who's bought dozens of the run of the mill hoi polloi quarter million dollar Ferraris and somebody who's visited in person and kind of begged a little bit. I mean, they want they want a relationship, Um, which to me, why did I mention the article? Because this is absurd. This is what the price system is for. The reason why we have money is so we don't have to like our counterparties. It's none of our business who they are. They give us the money. We give them the services or products that they want. You know, I, and there was I, there are two interesting things I want to talk about here. The mm-hmm. first is, like you're saying, the price system. And I thought it was very interesting. Look, they are restri- they are artificially restricting supply. Yep. So they can release these cars. And the article even mentions you can release the car and you'll buy it for a million dollars from Ferrari. And if you wanted, you could flip the car for two or three X the price the moment it hits your the moment it hits your driveway. But if you do that, you've broken your special relationship with Ferrari, and you'll never get that. You'll never get that car again. So, and I thought it was also interesting because you know, classic cars have been massively accreting in value. They've mm-hmm. been accreting like artwork and a lot of other things. And I'll, I'll let you kind of dive into how the rich toys for the one percent of the one percent have accreted in value. Yeah, a couple of factors I'd say. One, this is very uh, for anybody in the financial markets. This is very similar to hot issue IPOs work. Yep. That if you you build up the relationship and then you have access, but then how you behave is really judged. You're not supposed to sell it within a few years. They have a right of first refusal to buy it back within eighteen months. It's in this category of items that people who are over 
spending have gotten an onslaught of advice from me to not buy that marginal vintage car or modern art of a living artist or house in the Hamptons. And I have just been wrong, wronger, wrongest with this advice for about a decade now. Uh, and I think what it really comes down to, if you look at demography, especially in the United States, but elsewhere as well, uh, the the kind of cliches, hackneyed cliches about income distribution of America is the same in the top 1% and in the top 1 BIP. Not only are the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, but the super rich are getting much richer than the run of the mill rich and the stuff they like has just had huge asset price inflation. Look, this, the super rich, they used to be limited by scale, right? The super rich used to be uh, the person who owned the biggest steel plants mm-hmm. in the world, right? And if you're in the biggest steel plants, you were very rich, but you could only make as much steel as a plant and you had to reinvest money to make a new plant. Now the richest people own Facebook and Facebook adding a marginal user mm-hmm. cost you absolutely nothing. So before there could be 10 people who own steel plants. Now there's one person who owns Facebook. So he gets 10 times the wealth as the owner. And I, I'm really not a car guy. I like old trucks, uh, but I, I'm not. this is not something that's that important to me. My favorite comment about uh, car lust was the, the original founder of eBay said, you know, it's something that never occurred to him because he lived half of his life unable to afford to buy a car and the second half of his life available uh, able to buy all of them and so in neither case (laughs) is it that something that really occurs to you that much it's 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 uh you know uh, and i you know it doesn't occur to me that much either i I just want to finish just to finish my point on scale and then i want to go somewhere else uh on the scale you know if if you own one facebook and you have 10 times the riches versus you know the 10 the 10 uh, steel plant owners, that there's still the same amount of toys. So yes. because you're 10 times richer now, same amount of toys, uh, 10 times richer, the the price of the toy goes up mm-hmm. because you're much richer. But I, I want to pose a couple questions to you. You know, uh, So high-end cars have mm-hmm. appreciated massively. We just talked about why. I wonder, we've also talked about on this podcast a lot about the future of cars, mm-hmm. which is almost certain, certainly electric cars, yep. self-driving cars. And, you know, it's possible 15, 20 years when self-driving cars are good enough, driving a car on your own is actually illegal. Mm-hmm. So I wonder in the future, do you think these high-end cars selling for a million, $2 million, do you think they just crash in value because, you know, they, there's no use for them? It's even potential it's illegal to own them? Or do they kind of stay in value because they're more pieces of art and people are willing to park them in a garage? Does that all that make sense? I, good question. I've been so wrong. I mean, I think it's the whole thing is uh, preposterous. I think you want to be the seller, not the buyer of phony uh, 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 phony markets mm-hmm. where uh, you're being manipulated. Be a manipulator by all means, but why you'd want to be the one being manipulated, it's just that it's worked so well so far. I think what's really going to be interesting is the infrastructure for high-end racetracks, properties, Mm -hmm. uh, landing strips. Uh, You know, we're not going to be able to afford to have the... uh, the congestion on a lot of the places to use these high-end toys. Uh, and I think that's going to become very scarce. But in a world of uh, electric and self-driving, the closest I can get to answering is that much younger people, and you're, 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 you're younger than I am, uh, care much less about cars than they did. Um, uh, I'm approaching 40, and when I was 16, Everybody I knew, including poor kids and scholarship, you would work as many hours in McDonald's Mm -hmm. as necessary 
everybody bought a car when they were 16. Uh, people who couldn't afford it would buy a, you know, a clunker for $500. Now I know even very successful people in their 20s and it, they don't own cars. It doesn't occur to yeah, them to buy one. Almost none of my friends own cars. You know, if you've got Uber and Uber's available at the tap of the mm-hmm. button uh, and you can go, if you have an Uber and you don't have a car, you can go to bars and drink and use the Uber and you've got no issues. You can have it any time you want. Much cheaper. gives you a lot more flexibility. I think you're 100% right on that. Last thing, and we'll spend maybe 30 seconds here because we're uh, approaching our time limit. The other interesting thing I think about is Ferrari, you know, they're using special, all these special editions to drive revenue. They, it mentions that they're, it, it's going to be 10% of their revenue this year is coming from special editions. Uh, one of the other companies are copying them. And Ferrari has explicitly stated they currently make uh, about 7,700 7, cars per year. They want to increase that to 9,000 by 2019. And I can't help but think of the handbag market. Michael Kors, Coach, a lot of others, you know, they started out as high-end products and they tried to become mass affluent and they destroyed their brand in the process. Do you think Ferrari's at risk there? Absolutely. You can go down, but you can't go back up. I was also going to say the mass market for silver jewelry. You try to have these huge expensive things and then you slip a lot of $100 bangles to girls. Yeah. And uh, and they're trying to do the same thing. It's very precarious. We've talked a lot about how Amazon's eating the retail world. A lot. You'll hear a lot of people who say, look, if you go to Amazon or 20 years ago, if you start selling through Walmart, it's a nice quick boost to your bottom line. But in the long term, they're going to bleed you dry on margin and you've destroyed your brand once you go on there. And that's why you don't see a Nike or a lot of these other really higher-end brands selling through an Amazon or Walmart. I wonder if, you know, 7.7 to 9,000 isn't there, but they're starting to slowly go into that direction. So it's something to think about. And further merchandising as well, trying to become more of a lifestyle company than just a car company. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, That's all the time we have for today. Just before we hit our disclosures, a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. Disclosure, Chris, none for me. I I think you mentioned it here, but you're along a little bit of Twitter and a little bit of Viacom. Yes. Great. So that's all the time we have for today, and we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks again for listening.